Why don't you stand with me as we get the privilege of reading God's Word together as a congregation. And as we stand, we stand not only out of respect that the Word of God is being read, but also stand as God's people ready to hear from our Master, servants who are eager to hear and eager to do what he has written to us. So if you turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 2, page 708, if you do not have your own Bible, there's a pew Bible that you can take. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We have heard from God. Let's speak and unite our hearts as we talk to him. Father, we come and we are humbled. It's humbling to always uh, read and hear from you about our sin something that we want to hide. It's something that we want to justify. Even as believers who are forgiven, Lord, uh, we sometimes want to deny that we still sin, and, and often we're confused and don't know what to do with it. But, Lord, you have spoken clearly, and you're a God who is both light and love. You're a God who judges sin, but you're a God who is eager and quick to forgive sin. And so we acknowledge, Lord, Uh, as your people today, and whether there's people here that know you and and have been forgiven and and still need this message, there's those that may be far from you, and they just don't know what to do with the weight of their sin, the weight of the guilt, and the separation that they feel from not only you, but from others. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak and change hearts. And you would use our pastor and the preaching of your word and the application of this passage to help us deal with the sin that is within us. We thank you for the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ that covers the sins of the world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing on in our summer worship series uh, through the book of 1 John here, this little book of five chapters at the end of your Bibles. My, what a wonderful book. It's a series we're simply titling Assurance. 
And through this series, we are seeking to answer the question, how can you know for sure that you know Jesus Christ? In other words, how to know that you have eternal life? Because that's what this little book of 1 John is all about. How to know that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. How do you know your salvation is real? These are the questions that we want to answer. And God tells us in His Word here through the Apostle John here in the book of 1 John. In fact, I would submit to you this morning... Uh, it's no accident that you're here. I honestly believe it is God-ordained that every person is here this morning. Because here's what I believe. That this is the most important question that we can grapple with. How do you know that you know that you have eternal life? How do you know that your salvation is real? How do you know that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ? This is the most important question that you can struggle with, grapple with, answer yourself. In fact, it's more important than where you go to college. It's more important than how high of a GPA you may graduate with. This is more important than what kind of job you will get or what job you have now. It's more important than how much money you make. It's more important than how many friends you have or how good your marriage is. It's more important than how close your grandkids live by you. It's even more important than how happy you are in life. This is a question of eternal life or death. And so I invite you this morning to open up your mind, to open up your hearts to the message of God's Word here. Because what we're going to see is that dealing with the sin within is one of the key evidences of whether or not you have eternal life. Whether you are a true believer or a false believer. In fact, dealing with the sin within, look at it in your notes here coming up on the screen. The difference between true believers and false believers is not whether or not they sin. Because we all sin. The difference is what they do when they sin. False believers, as John is going to identify for us, deny their sin. Whereas true believers deal with sin thus giving evidence that they have eternal life. Now, John begins this little book, as we saw last Sunday, by declaring the truth about Jesus Christ. Declaring the truth about the Gospel. Why? Because what you believe about Jesus is a matter of eternal life and death. Starting here in verse 5, John begins to transition to the truth about sin. You say, why is that? Why go from Jesus immediately to sin? Because sin is fundamental to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Why does the world need a Savior? The answer is sin. Humanity has a sin problem. That includes us, everyone here this morning. In fact, Sin is our biggest problem in life, and it affects everyone. Of course, not everyone agrees with this assertion. In John's day, there were people 
whom John called deceivers. They were false teachers, false believers, who promoted this idea that sin was no big deal. You could sin all you want and still have fellowship with God. You could sin all you want and still have assurance of eternal life without ever dealing with your sin. Obviously, sin is not a popular subject in our day as well. In fact, several years ago, Dr. Carl Menninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin? What has become a sin is people don't want to deal with it. And so they go to great lengths to hide it, ignore it, rationalize it, justify it and even deny its existence altogether. But John says this to us, and he says it loud and clear, that when we deny sin, we are in essence calling God a liar, and the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel in which we just sung about, is not in us. Because when we don't deal with our sin, we are saying that sin is not serious. We are saying, in effect, that Jesus did not need to die on the cross for our sin. We are falling in line with what liberal theologian Dolores Williams said in a conference session called Reimagining. Reimagining Jesus, that is. She says, and I quote, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I think Jesus came to show us something about life. I don't think we need people hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff like that. And in one sense, she's right. Because if we have no sin to deal with, then we have no need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. But the truth is, we do have sin. God has made that clear in His Word. John is reiterating that here in 1 John. Therefore, we do need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. Which is why John begins with Jesus who He is and what you believe about Him matters. So here's the connection. Let me connect the dots for you here. Here's the connection between what we learned last Sunday in the first four verses of 1 John 1 and what we're going to see today in this passage that Pastor Chris read for us. That is this. Here's how they connect. Here's what John is doing for us. To have a right view about Jesus, you must also have a right view about sin. Because when you begin to see sin for what it is, you will immediately begin to see your need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, what you believe about Jesus and what you do about sin says an awful lot about whether you are a true believer or a false believer. The difference between true believers and false believers, again, let me restate it, is not whether or not they sin, but what they do when they sin. So ask yourself, me included, what do I do when I sin? What do you do when you sin? There are only two options that John identifies for us. We can either deny our sin or we can deal with our sin. So let's discover what John says about both of these. Option number one, we can deny our sin. Notice what John says. Look in verse 5, how he starts. 
He says, this is the message which we have heard from him, that is Jesus Christ, and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, John uses light to describe something here. He's describing God, and specifically God's holiness and God's righteousness. Now, why would John begin his discussion of sin with the holiness of God? Because until we see the sinless perfection of God, we will know, we, there will be no awareness of our own sin. And by the way, this sin, it's, it's what breaks our fellowship with God. We learned last Sunday that when we believe in Jesus Christ, it brings us into union, it reconciles us in a relationship with God, and we have fellowship with Him and other believers. And out of that fellowship with God and other believers is what brings joy to our lives, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of the conditions that we're going through in life. Joy, the fullness of joy, is the result of fellowship with God. But sin breaks that fellowship. In doing so, it robs our joy. And so one of the first clues, if you are a joyless believer, is to evaluate your heart. Is sin in my heart that's unconfessed? Have I dealt with that? Sin robs joy in our lives. Because sin breaks fellowship with God. And that's what John is getting at here. But the closer we view ourselves under the light of God's Word, under the light of God's holiness, what John calls walking in the light, the more we will see our sinfulness, what John calls walking in the dark. So in other words, here's the idea that John starts out with. To stand in the blazing light of God's holiness is to stand painfully aware of our sinfulness. But when we're blind to God's holiness, or if we refuse to walk in the light of God's holiness, then what do you think we're going to do with our sinfulness? Well, you got it. We're going to deny it. In other words, we're not going to deal with it honestly and biblically. John knows that as long as you keep God at arm's length, he's, you keep Him at a distance you will always have this hazy view of sin in your own life, which breaks fellowship with God and robs us of our joy in this life. So let me give you three stages of deception here. In what ways do we deny our sin? Let me answer that question first. Here's what John says to us. We, we, we deny our sin in this manner. We tell lies. We're... we're we're liars, in other words, John says. That's how we deny our sin. In fact, John identifies three stages of deception when it comes to the lies we tell in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. In fact, all three of these lies begin with the same phrase. Maybe you caught it when Pastor Chris read the text for us here. The same phrase is this, if we say, in verse 6. Go to verse 8, and he says it again. If we say, verse 10, if we say... And so in other words, John is saying, if we say something that's not true, then this is what it's really saying about us. So three stages of deception. Number one, we lie to others about our fellowship with God if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness. Notice the first if we say in verse 6. 
John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, he's talking with God, about God here, and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Now, why does John say we're lying and don't practice the truth if we say this? Because John just told us in verse 5 that God is what? God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, that word walk, that's a great little word here. That is an important word, and it points to our behavior or lifestyle. In other words, that word walk is identifying how we live our lives, the choices we make, the attitudes we show. In other words, now John is saying to walk in darkness, your lifestyle, your choices, your attitude, actions, your behavior. To walk in darkness, therefore, is the opposite of walking in the light. Walking in darkness means living in sin. It means being controlled by the desires for this world instead of the desires for God and his truth and his holiness. Now, see if you can follow John's logic then. In verses 4 and 5, the logic he brings here, he says, God is light in reference to the holiness of God. And in him is no darkness. And so if there is darkness in us, it's impossible then for us to have fellowship with God. And as we already said, no fellowship with God means no joy in our lives. So here's the lie. We're going around, at least in John's day, this was happening, and it happens still in our day. And we maybe don't say this verbally, but we say it in our hearts. Here's the lie. We say, or maybe we think, we believe we have fellowship with God, and yet we continue to live in sin. In essence, what John is saying is we say one thing, but we practice another. And so in reality, we're not just speaking a lie, we are what? We are practicing a lie. We are living a lie. John says we're lying and do not practice the truth. Why? Because darkness and light cannot fellowship together. In essence, we say, oh yeah, I know God, I'm good. I prayed that prayer in the past when I was a little kid. I prayed that prayer. I'm good. I know God. I'm saved. Going to heaven when I die. But the, our beliefs, our behavior contradict our words. I know God. Doesn't line up. It's like this. John says, hey, if your life is like this, what you say and what you believe or how you live is like this. Warning, warning, you need to check your heart. Put all this together, and John is saying, listen, you cannot claim to be a Christian and still walk in sin day after day after day. John says that's a flat-out lie. Your life is lying about what you believe you are. How do you know if you're a true believer or just a make-believer? Well, John says, first, your beliefs change about Jesus Christ. So you believe the truth about Jesus, but listen, something else changes when Jesus comes into our heart. How you behave changes. You can't separate the two. Talk and walk go together. And that's what John's getting at here. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior, things 
change. That's the radicalness of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And most of all, listen to me, you change. The gospel changes you. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't change all at once. In fact, it's a walk, as John says. And that word walk implies progress in the direction of God's righteousness. So let me ask you a question here. Since you met Jesus, since you repented of your sins, confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, since since that day... When you claim that that's my moment in life, when I crossed from faith, from unbelief to belief, when I crossed over from being dead to being alive in Christ, from old life to new life in Christ, that moment, when that took place, when you were born again, since that moment, how have you changed? What direction, then, are you even walking now? So if you say, we have fellowship with God, but you're living in habitual sin, and you don't even care about it, John says, that's a problem. That's a lie. We're lying here. The second stage of deception is we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves about our true heart condition if we say that we have no sin. Notice the second, if we say phrase in verse 8. John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, it seems like this person is claiming to have arrived at some sort of sinless perfection. That they were somehow fully sanctified once they came to Jesus. Amazingly, this person claims to have no sin problem at all. Denying the very presence of their sin nature. It's true that we are given a new nature when we become a Christian. But according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul says that our sinful nature is still part of our lives. But this person says, sin? What sin? I don't have a sin problem. I don't deal with sin. And John says, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Jesus Christ is not in us. Perhaps you've met someone like this. They are rather difficult to do life with because it's like being in community with Captain Purity or Captain Perfect. They may have sinned in the past, but now that Jesus has saved them, they claim sin is no longer a problem in their life. The problem is this person is a delusional liar who refuses to admit their sin and then deal with their sin. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. The idea of having no sin is a delusion. We are altogether deceived if you say so. The truth is not in you, and you have not seen things in the true light. You must have shut your eyes to the high requirements of the law. You must have been a stranger to your own heart. You must be blind to your own conduct every day. And you must have forgotten to search your thoughts and to weigh your motives, or you would have detected the presence of sin. He who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in his members. As the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. He's right on. 
And what he's saying and what John is saying is that our capacity to sin, because we still have this sin nature that we have to deal with, is still a reality in our lives. And John says, hey, people who say they have no sin are deceiving themselves and the truth of Jesus is not in them. So the first stage of deception is we lie to others. Because we claim to say one thing about us, and yet our behavior says something totally different. And by the way, what John's getting at is we can see that. We can observe that in other people. We hear what they claim to say, and yet we see how they live. Now that doesn't mean that we can necessarily see into their hearts and judge their hearts as to whether or not they are true believers, but John is saying this about that person. Something's not adding up here. And that should give cause for us to question whether they are true believers, but more importantly, that should give cause for you to question whether you are a true believer or not. And then the second stage that John says of deception is we not only lie to, our, to, uh, to others, we lie to ourselves. And now in this third stage of deception, we are lying to God, or more, we are lying about God. John says we're making God out to be a liar about our actions if we say that we have not sinned. This is the third if we say, and it's found in verse 10. Look at it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. That is God, and his word is not in us. Now, as preposterous as it may sound, there are some people who claim sinlessness. Oh, they may admit to the possibility of sin, but they deny they have actually sinned. Instead, they rationalize their sins, they justify their sin, they refuse to admit that what they did was sin before God. This often involves calling our sin anything but sin such as calling it a mistake, an indiscretion, bad judgment, personal weakness, anything but sin. The problem, of course, is that God calls it sin. And to say that we have not sinned is not only self-deception, it's the same as calling God a liar. You say, how's that? Because we contradict God's word which says in Romans 3.23, for all have what? Sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we maintain that we are an exception to that rule in Romans 3.23. God's word, in essence, for this person, God's word is no longer authoritative in their lives. What becomes the authority in their life is culture and circumstances. And this is why John says, God's word is not in us. Because when God's word is in us, we submit to God's word and what it says. It's the authority in our lives. It's what rules our lives. We place ourselves under the authority of God's word. We believe it, we seek to follow it. Not in our power, but in the power of God, His Holy Spirit's power. Now, there's a danger here right now. There's a danger within me, there's a danger with all of us here as we've just, with what we've just heard. And the danger here is this. 
It is to underestimate the seriousness of denying our sin. To not take serious what John's just told us here. John says, this should not be taken lightly. You go back at the end of verse 6, and John says, we lie and do not practice the truth. At the end of verse 8, John says, and the truth is not in us. At the end of verse 10, John says, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, what is John saying? He is basically saying, in each of these three stages of deception, he's saying, false believers, beware. When we deny our sin, John says the truth of Jesus Christ is not in us. If Jesus Christ is not in us, then what are we? Well, we certainly have no reason to be absolutely sure that we are true believers who have eternal life. Why is denying our sin so serious? Here's why, folks, because it jeopardizes our assurance of salvation. If someone claims to be a Christian but, does, but denies his or her sin, does not deal with it, then that person should examine their heart to see whether they are really a true believer or not. You may have said a prayer of salvation in the past. But John is saying, the truth of Jesus is not in us. If we continue to live in sin day after day after day, it's habitual in our lives, and we deny it instead of dealing with it. Again, let me remind us, the issue between, or the difference between true believers and false believers is not whether or not they what? Sin, but what? What we do when we sin. John is saying false believers don't deal with their sin. They say one thing, but live another way. And they are living a dangerous place in life, thinking that when I die, I will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, thinking I have this assurance of salvation. And John is saying, you are delusional. That is false assurance, folks. But there's a second option here, a much better option than denying our sin, and that is we can deal with our sin. Whenever God performs a work of saving grace, let me tell you, it is always accompanied by this deep awareness of one's sin. Therefore, the evidence that we are a true believer is we deal with our sin. A young man once asked a preacher, you say that unsaved people carry a weight of sin. I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds? Let me ask you something, the preacher said. If you laid a 500-pound weight on a corpse, would it feel the load? The young man quickly said, it wouldn't feel anything because it's dead. So it is with the soul that is spiritually dead, the preacher said. It too feels no heavy load of sin. Such a person is indifferent to its burden of sin and uncaring about its presence. And with that, the young man walked away in silence. 
The message of 1 John here is that a true believer feels the weight of sin pressing upon his convicted heart, and he no longer seeks to cover his sin, seeks to deny it, but rather he deals with it and confesses it to God, who offers forgiveness of that sin. This is the beauty, John says, of walking in the light. It exposes our sin. And once our sin is exposed, we can then deal with it honestly and biblically. So how do you deal with sin? Well, John gives us two things. Two truths, two ways, if you want to call them that. Number one is confess your sin. Confess your sin. Covering our sin destroys our fellowship with God. But confessing our sin opens the door for us to experience God's amazing grace. Woo! Woo, man! That's better, if the, that's better than if the Warriors will win Monday night. You can tell I'm rooting for the Warriors. Look what verse 9 says. One of the more familiar verses in all of the book of 1 John here. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean to confess our sins? Because there's a lot of ambiguity about that in Christian culture today. What does it mean to confess my sins? Well, this word confess, it means to admit our guilt before God. It means to agree with God about your sin. Confession of sin is coming to the place in your life, in your heart, where you honestly agree with God about your sin. In other words, you are taking responsibility for your sin. You ain't passing the buck, you ain't blaming somebody else. You name it and you call it what it is. To confess doesn't mean to flippantly say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I did it. And then to go on as if nothing happened. It means to say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. It means to put it out in the open before God. In other words, you don't rationalize it, you don't excuse it, you don't deny it. Instead, you confess it to God. And when you do, folks, listen to me, something amazing happens when we are repentant of our sin. We're broken of our sin and we come before a holy God and we confess it to Him. Something amazing happens. And it, John tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. This is God's response to confession of sin. And for that, we all say what? Hallelujah. Jump up and down. Get excited. How can God, though, a God who is holy and in Him is no darkness, how can God then be both faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How can God do that? After all, sin deserves what? Sin deserves condemnation, not forgiveness and cleansing. So how can God be faithful and just? Well, the answer is found in verse 7. Where John says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Folks, listen to me. 
God is a holy God. He is a just God. He's a loving God. He's all those things. And he must stay faithful and true to those things. He does not change. God is just to forgive us because the penalty of our sins has been paid with Jesus' shed blood on the cross. That's why. In fact, the blood of Jesus covers all our sins, past, present, and future. Awesome. And God is faithful. That means His promise to forgive us. He's faithful to that promise. You can count on that promise. You can bank on it. Every time you confess your sins, God will respond with forgiveness for your sins. So confess your sins immediately. Confess them specifically. Name it exactly what it is. Don't call it out in generic forms. Yeah, God, I messed up. I blew it. I sinned. No, we confess it immediately when God makes us aware of it. We confess it specifically what it is, and we call it for what it is according to the Word of God. And, but most of all, we confess it confidently. Confidently, why? Because God is faithful. He says, He made the promise, I will forgive you. And when you sin as a Christian, here's the other glorious thing. True believers, when you sin as a Christian, you're not taken out of God's family. You realize that? You are not removed out of God's family when you sin. But sin does take you out of fellowship with God. It does take you out of fellowship with other believers. But when we confess our sins, God says, listen, my forgiveness is extended to you on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. His shed blood covers your sins. You are now restored to fellowship with me and with other believers Fullness of joy is now yours again. It is a beautiful thing if you've ever experienced it. But what about guilt? Man, guilt just kills people. Our world is full of guilty people seeking to intoxicate, medicate it, intoxicate it. That's how most people deal with guilt. God has a much better way of dealing with our guilt. Here's the deal. Sin always brings guilt. In fact, if we can say, if we can sin and not feel the Holy Spirit's conviction of that sin, oh my, that's, that's a warning light that we may not, we are probably not true believers in Jesus Christ. If you can sin day after day and not feel the Holy Spirit's conviction about that sin, I plead with you to stop in your tracks and ask God to search your heart if you are a true believer. Because true believers, sooner or later, will always sense the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin, what we could call good guilt. And yes, there are a difference here. There is bad guilt that Satan wants to bring back into your life all the time. But this is a form of good guilt that leads to repentance. But when we confess that sin, God says, listen, I have taken care of the sin I have forgiven it once and for all, and now I'm going to take care of your guilt. I'm going to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness, 
all of your dirty deeds. And I'm going to wash away the stain of that sin with Jesus' blood. I'm going to remove it all in your life. Now, let me just qualify that because that doesn't mean what John is saying here, that God removes the consequences of our sins. We still have to deal with the consequences. He removes, he forgives us and he removes the guilt of our sin, but we are still left with the consequences. But here's the good news even on that. We have the power of Jesus Christ. We have the church of Jesus Christ. We have the word of God to help us through those consequences. So don't think just because I can sin and ask God to forgive me and think God's going to forgive me, he's going to wipe me, that everything's hunky-dory. No, there are still consequences that we have to deal with. Why, 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 why would you deny your sin? When we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our sins. I love what Proverbs 28, 13 says, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Remember the difference between true believers and false believers is not whether or not they sin. Both will sin. The difference is what they do when they sin. A true believer will confess it, receiving God's forgiveness and receiving God's cleansing. So the first way to deal with our sin is to confess it. But there's something else John says too here. And we must not overlook it. And that is to change your walk. Change your walk. Now maybe you're wondering what changing your walk has to do with dealing with sin. Well, perhaps the following story will shed some light. Two mountain boys spotted a bobcat up in a tree. So they decided to have a little fun with it. One said, I'll shimmy up the tree and chase him down, and, and you put him in a sack when he get, comes down. The other agreed. And so the first fellow climbed up the tree, and when he reached the right limb, he started shaking that limb, and the cat came tumbling down. The other fellow grabbed the varmint by the back of the neck and tried to put him into the sack. And there was this terrible commotion. Dust and fur and skin were flying in all directions, and the fellow in the tree called down, What's the matter with you? Don't you do you need some help catching one little old bobcat? No, replied his friend. I don't need help catching him. I need help turning him loose. And that's exactly the way it is with sin. It's easy catching sin, but it's a lot harder turning it loose. And that's why we must change our walk if we want to fully deal with the sin within. This is why John writes in verse 7 again, but if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, what does it mean, though, to change our walk? It simply means we quit walking in darkness and we start walking in the light. And walking in the light is a picture of living in God's truth and righteousness. Walking in the light means seeing things the way God sees them and responding to them the way God responds. We walk in the light when we hate the sin we fall into and we name it for the ugly thing it is and we turn from it. So, in essence... Here's what John is saying. Denying our sin is part of what it means to walk in darkness, and confessing our sin is part of what it means to walk in the light. Now, this doesn't mean, please hear this, this doesn't mean the perfection of one's life. And to that, we all say what? Amen, right? 
So nobody has the expectation here of perfectness, perfection. But it does mean, it does have the idea of direction of our life. Listen, think of it this way. The reason Jesus came and died was not merely to cover our sins, but to conquer them as well. Not just to justify us, but to sanctify us. The ongoing effect of Christ's shed blood is to cleanse our hearts, get this, in such a way that we cannot be content to go on sinning. And if we are content to just go on sinning day after day, and that doesn't bother us, and we claim to be a true believer, something is wrong! In other words, the gospel, when it impacts our lives, we want to change our walk. We want to walk in the light. As Hebrew 9.14 says, the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works to now serve the living God. This is the sanctifying effect of the blood of Christ. It's the progressive work in the believer's heart. And as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, God will bring that work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Without changing our walk from darkness to light, we will never fully deal with our sin. Why? Because it's only in God's light that we can see our sin and honestly deal with it and seek God's forgiveness. The evidence of God's truth in our hearts is the exposure of sin. God's light reveals sin. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. That's why we need to worship Him on Sunday mornings. It reveals the sin, and then when it comes to the surface, we then can deal with it. We can confess it, and Christ's blood covers it and conquers it. So walking in the light, John is saying, is what gives us assurance of our salvation. But if we are not walking in the light, then we have no basis for assurance of our salvation. There is no assurance when we are living in darkness and disobedience. That's the point John is making here. Now, believe me, I am fully aware because I experienced this as well. That talking about this subject, sin, it's, it's not fun. In fact, it can be discouraging. Because we all sin. If you're like me, we seem to do it on a daily basis, if not hour-by-hour hour basis. And so this can be very discouraging. And so I want to leave you with some hope-filled truth. I want to encourage you with something here as we walk out, as we leave. And it's this. In this life, we cannot claim to be sinless, but we can sin less. Now, don't miss what John writes in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, and that is a beautiful term, as we've already talked about. It's a term of love. It's a term of affection. It's like a father speaking to his young son. And John, in the same way, is coming to these believers. He says, listen, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not what? That you may not sin. That's important because that should be our desire as true believers. 
In other words, listen to me. John didn't say all this stuff about forgiveness so that we could just go out and sin more. John didn't write all these things so that we may sin more and more and more. He wrote all these things so we may not sin. So don't think, if I go out and sin, it's no big deal. God will be there to forgive me. John says, don't think that way. Because if you think that way, something is seriously wrong because everything John has written is so you don't have to sin. As most of you know, I love to play basketball. I still try to play. That simply means I go to the gym, I put my shoes on, and I run up and down the court, and I play. I still enjoy it. But and even at age 50, when I play, you know what my goal is? It is try to make every shot that I shoot. And even though I know I won't make every shot, that is still what I try to do when I hit the court. In fact, I get upset if I don't make at least half of my shots. And my wife can always tell when that is. Because I come home at night and I'm either in a good mood or I'm in a bad mood. She's like, how'd you play tonight? How'd it go? And I'm like, if I didn't make at least half my shots. Or if I was on a hot streak, I'm like, oh man, tonight went great. Those 20 and 30 year olds, I schooled them. Now why do I get upset if I don't make at least half my shots? Because the goal is what? To make every shot you take. Folks, listen to me. It's the same way in the Christian life. We are saved from sin, not to sin. And that means you don't set out to sin more, you set out to sin less. And although we cannot reach sinless perfection in this life, our goal should be to sin less and less and less. The direction of our lives should be toward less sin and more holiness. However, John is a realist. I love this about John. And that's why he writes in verse 2, And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not, of ours, not ours only, but also for the whole world. Now there is a big word in that verse, propitiation, that we're not so familiar with. But let me challenge you with this. If you can learn to drink names at Starbucks and learn to say those names at Starbucks, then you can learn the meaning of words like propitiation. Propitiation is a great word. Another way to think of it is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which satisfies the wrath and judgment of God on our behalf. So don't despair if you sin. Instead, run to Jesus, who is our advocate with the Father, and who is our atonement or our propitiation for our sin. Listen, as our advocate, you know that Jesus stands as your defense lawyer? That's the idea here. Now, again, most defense lawyers plead their, their, their client's innocence. Jesus doesn't plead your innocence. Why is that? Anybody here innocent of sin? Oh, no. So he doesn't plead your innocence before God the Father. 
In fact, he admits your guilt, but then he makes his case for you, not on the basis of your perfection, but on his propitiation or atoning sacrifice. And as our atonement, Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. He has satisfied God's justice and wrath against our sins. So even though we are guilty, here's the beauty of it. We confess our sins and we will be forgiven and our hearts will be cleansed and our joy will be full. If sin will shatter your fellowship with God, if sin will steal your joy in life, then come to Jesus seeking forgiveness, seeking His cleansing because He died to secure that for you. No one, listen to me, no one who ever came to Jesus looking for forgiveness, looking for cleansedness, ever went away still in their sins. No one. In fact, John emphasizes that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice not only for our sins, but for the sins of what? The whole world. You know what that means? That means there is room at the cross for you. And there's room at the cross for the whole world. Jesus' blood covers and cleanses all who come to him. Denying our sin does not deal with our sin problem. Instead, it leaves us under God's wrath. It leaves us under the judgment of God. But confessing our sins brings us into God's mercy and grace to make you clean. And so maybe it's time. Perhaps the first time for some of you. Maybe the first time in a long time for others. To own your sin and to run to Jesus. Because only Jesus can forgive you and cleanse you and restore the joy of your fellowship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we've sinned against you in our thoughts and words, attitudes and actions. We've not loved you with our whole heart, and we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us, and grant us the grace to walk in the light of your truth. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our atoning sacrifice that settles and satisfies your wrath. And help us now to cling to him and to rest in him. And as we come to him, even during this response time, that you would wash us clean. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.